Hello, welcome to Destiny X, making a difference for this next generation. I'm Destiny Yarbrough, your host today, and I have a very, very special guest with us today. We are going to welcome Craig Scott. Craig is a Columbine survivor who lost a loved one in the Columbine shootings. He's also a national speaker. He works on film, and he also is an inspirational speaker, and he works with inspirational television. Let's welcome Craig Scott. Hi, Craig. How are you? Welcome to the broadcast. Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you. Wow, you really experienced a lot in your life. Let's talk about that a little bit. I'll let you open us up with some of your story and share with our viewers and what you experienced and where you are. Sure. I was uh, in the middle of the Columbine shooting, which was 22 years ago. Um, now or 20, 21 and a half years ago in 1999. And uh, I was at the school that day in the library where most of the shooting happened. Um, I, uh, it was like a regular day of school for me. I went with my sister on our way to school. We got into a little argument, a little fight. And uh, uh, last moment I had with her was pulling up to the school and calling her names and getting out of the car and slamming a car door, car door shut on her and then going into school. I went to my classes and then I went to the library to study for a test. And I heard some popping noises coming from outside the school. And I thought that maybe some seniors are pulling a prank. And a few minutes went by and this teacher ran into the room screaming. She was yelling at all of us to hide and get underneath tables and desks. And so I got underneath the table with two of my friends and the popping noises started to get louder and louder. My two friends just started to freak out, wondering what was going on. And I felt, uh, I heard of my, I felt like I heard God speak to me and told me to be still. And so I became very quiet and still, and uh, the shooters were getting closer and closer to the library. And I realized at this point, it wasn't a prank. This was serious. The library was the first room that they came into. Immediately, they were shooting off their guns, taunting or making fun of students before they shot or killed them. Uh, they came over to where I was sitting and I saw my friend Isaiah. Isaiah was one of the very few black students, African-American students in my school. And uh, they were followers of Hitler, oh, especially okay. Eric, um, who is the leader of the two, the two shooters. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, they used to hile Hitler when they were bolt at bowling class. And so when one of them saw Isaiah, he called the other one over and said, hey, we have an N-word over here, racial slur. And the other shooter came over and they were mocking him, <clears throat> calling, calling him racial slurs. And they drug him from out, out from underneath the table. And uh, the last thing that Isaiah said is, I, uh, I want to see my mom. And they shot and killed Isaiah. And then they shot and killed Matt right next to me and left me underneath that, that table. Wow. And I think that just because I uh, didn't, uh, you know, that I was being completely still, I didn't draw any attention to myself. And then a few minutes went by and I felt like God spoke to me again and told me to get out of there. And I was feeling so much fear that I thought my heart was going to stop. So I, I was the first student to get up after hearing, feeling, feeling like God heard me to, to told me to get out of there. And I was the first student to stand up and looked around the room and I saw the shooters were gone. And so I yelled at everyone, come on, let's get out of here. And uh, heard a girl asking for help 
And there was a girl rocking back and forth behind me who'd had her shoulder blown off by a shotgun blast asking for help. And so I helped to pick her up and a group of us um, ran out of an emergency exit and there was a police car outside. And as soon as we got behind that police car, the two shooters came back in the library and began to exchange gunfire with the police. And I realized if I hadn't gotten out there as quickly that more of us would have been killed if I hadn't listened to that voice that spoke to me first telling telling me to be still and then telling me to get out of there and I got out of there literally seconds and and, and time and behind the police car um, I was holding a girl who was losing a lot of blood and she wanted to go to sleep and she had been shot but she had made it out there was some kids that made it out with us who had been shot And this girl just minutes earlier had a conversation with the shooters where they had asked her if she believed in God. And, um, and she, one point, um, one of the shooters walked by her and she said, Oh God. And it caught his attention. And he said, God, you believe in God. And they had this conversation where she was begging for her life. And he kept asking if she believed in God. And then finally she said, yes. And he shot her, but she survived. And her name is Val Schnur. And I was holding her behind this police car, trying not to let her go to sleep. And, you know, they were targeting different people that day. They just had a hatred towards all kinds of people. Uh, but they will also had this um, hatred towards God. And so uh, uh, she survived and other police cars and ambulances began to come by and pick us students up. And then uh, I was right before I left, I had a friend tap me on the shoulder and said, I think there's a girl that's been shot over there. And I looked out from behind the police car and it was my sister. She was the first one that was killed. And she was killed right outside the the school library doors. And uh, in Rachel's last moments, she was actually questioned about her faith as well. And I can share about that later on. But uh, so that's my uh, it, that, that's what I went through that day. It was left me in a broken, traumatic place. I've done a lot of healing since then. Uh, and I've had, you know, some different keys that have helped me to heal. But the biggest thing has been God's grace and faith. Uh, faith um, is, and, and uh, I, 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 and I want to thank anyone out there that prayed for my community or the Columbine community or my, or the victim's families or my family, or even me in particular, uh, had a lot of people pray for me as I did a lot of media interviews after that. Uh, I did an interview with Katie Kirk just two days after the shooting that she called her most memorable interview. And, uh, my dad watched it and he felt like it, there was just an anointing on it. And, uh, I, uh, the interview was with me and Isaiah's father. And uh, there was a moment in the interview where Isaiah's dad, I was telling Katie about uh, Isaiah's last moments and his dad reached out and grabbed my hand, his big black man. And I was this little 16 year old blonde, (laughs) blonde haired white kid. And here he is grabbing my hands as I'm talking about his son's last moments. And it was just a powerful moment on television. And Katie asked the network not to go to commercials and they kept airing it. And, and so that was the first time on that, that I uh, started to talk about Rachel and the kind of person that she was. And she was a very kind, compassionate person. Well, it sounds uh, like God's using you as a mouthpiece um, in a lot of different areas. 
healing, um, forgiveness. You know, let's talk about forgiveness and translation of emotions. And I know you talk a lot about that. Speak to that. Well, for a couple of years, I was, I mean, you wouldn't want to talk to me about forgiveness. And there's a time to, you know, there's a time for emotion after you, you deal with something happens to you. And it's unwise for people to sometimes throw out forgiveness right away to some people. Uh, the wise will forgive right away. Um, but it's because it's a spiritual principle that a lot of people misunderstand. They think that that forgiveness is sometimes saying what someone did it is, is okay. And sometimes it is that. Sometimes you forgive a brother or sister or a family member and you say, it's okay. You know, you're human, you make mistakes. It's okay. I give you grace. Uh, but forgiveness is not always saying what someone has did is okay. Sometimes what somebody did is completely wrong, unjustifiable. It's not okay what they did, but you're choosing to let go of your right to be angry and hold that against the person. And that's really hard to present to somebody when someone has had their family member killed and friends killed next to them. And for a couple of years, I hated the shooters. I used to fantasize if I had five minutes alone, how I would kill them. Wow. And I, I, cause I watched on the news, this false narrative that was painted and the big news narrative that came after Columbine, which most people believe till this day is that uh, the reason why Columbine happened is that these two boys were bullied at school. And even though that was a factor in their life, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge factor. And it was definitely not even close to being the biggest reason why they did what they did. And if you were to ask me why they did what they did, it's because they focused on everything that was negative in themselves. Their heart, they had hatred in their heart, it sounds like. And you know, they they focused on the negative. Uh, they over over a long period of time began to choose negative influences in their life, especially through the media, disconnecting themselves from other people. And they were two different people. Eric, <clears throat> Eric was very arrogant. He started, he became so delusional that he actually became got to a point of belief where he thought he evolved into something more than human. And that day he wore a shirt that said natural selection. Dylan uh, was the opposite. He didn't, he didn't, he thought he was worthless. And in his journals and his mom wrote a book and in her, in that book, she said, we valued our son, but he didn't believe in his own value. So you had very, you had arrogance on one side and then you had self-hatred on another side. And, and, and then uh, Dylan wore a shirt that day that said wrath. So they each wore two different shirts. Mm -hmm. uh, one that said natural section and one that said wrath. But uh, so, yeah, I, I watched as the news kind of, I felt like justified them to a degree as they were like basically painting the story that, oh, they were pushed to the edge with bullying when actually they, I watched them become the biggest bullies in that library. And then even before that, uh, they were, they had bullied other kids at, at school, you know, bully, bullying just means putting other people down, you know, and we all have put other people down at times and we've all been put down at times. And so, uh, you know, more, some more than others. And I know kids at my school that were treated way worse than these two guys. So I, I just didn't buy that this was the main reason And psychologists that have looked into it, you know, 10 years later did a report saying, you know, that wasn't the core reason as well. The news 
they'll paint stories sometimes for the masses that are usually off. Yeah. And I mean, when you look, do a deep dive on, on these stories, it's a lot of times these headlines aren't accurate. They're not, uh, you know, the facts may be true, but the overall story, you know, that they might get certain facts, but what, whatever they, uh, whatever they focus on, they give power to. So whatever the storyline that they're going to talk about over and over is what people are going to believe overall about that story. So, uh, and I know because I've been interviewed by news media over a thousand times in my life. So I've learned a lot about the news. Um, but, uh, so for me though, um, it took a trip to going to another country that had it changed me. Uh, I got a chance to go to South Africa for a couple months with a, uh, group out of Texas called Teen Mania that's not in existence anymore. But Rachel was going to go on a trip there with this group. And she had her letters of support ready. They send out teenagers across the world as missionaries every year. And she was going to go and she but she was killed. And so the the head of that organization, Ron Luce, offered to me and said, Would you like to go in her place? So I said, yeah, I'll go in my sister's place. And so I went to South Africa for two months when I was uh, in between my junior and senior year of high school. And so what I saw there just changed me uh, and impacted me, seeing the poverty, seeing the suffering. But what was amazing, what we did is every day we would get into a bus and we'd go into these refugee camps for two months. And every day we were working with the poor, we were doing a play called journeyman in the streets about Jesus. And then we would do like household chores and just talk with people and share with them about scripture and the Bible. But uh, we had this uh, big African driver every day on the bus. He was singing these beautiful Zulu songs. And one night I was up late. I couldn't sleep on, on our campsite and I was having nightmares. I had a lot of uh, issues after Columbine. My mind was yeah, kind trauma. of broken. That's trauma. Yeah, the trauma. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I had nightmares. I had PTSD. I had I had basically what soldiers from war come back with. Um, I had disassociation where I, I really wasn't present. I mean, the big thing, if you had met me at that time, is you could be talking with me, but I wasn't really there. Uh, my mind was somewhere else. And, um, and, and it took me even going back when I went back to school, doing my work, schoolwork, everything took me four times as long to do. I was very slow. Uh, I was just healing and like my mind was just been through a war zone. And, uh, so there was some damage done. Um, but, uh, it still wasn't, wasn't an excuse for some of the bad choices that I was making. Because uh, I remember even then, even though I was in that bad place, uh, in that in a hard place, I had choice, and I was making sometimes bad choices, and I was taking anger out on my family. Uh, I I scared, I pulled a knife on somebody at one point, uh, <clears throat> and I not even because I was thinking about that person, I was thinking about the shooters. I mean, I I was very volatile, and so. Uh, Anyways, I was up late on this campsite walking around and the bus driver pulled in this African man. He asked me what I was doing out. I wasn't supposed to be out. He could tell I was upset. And he said four words to me that are great four words to say to someone. He said, tell me your story. And so I, 
I hadn't told anybody my story. I had done news interviews, but I wasn't doing speaking or anything like that. And, um, and so I told them what happened to me and told them about losing my friends and my sister and hating these guys. And, and uh, he listened and then he told me his story and he told me how he came home one uh, day to find his entire village had been massacred in South Africa and another tribe had killed everyone with machetes. And he came home to find 17 members of his family dead and he was the last person left. And when this guy told me that, I honestly couldn't believe him because I, I didn't understand how he was singing these beautiful Zulu songs every day on the bus and was such a joyful, wonderful person to be around, a person you wanted to be around who had this deep you know, laughter. He would laugh a lot and was kind and he was loving. And he told me a story and then he told me uh, something I never forgot. He said, Forgiveness is like setting a prisoner free and finding out that prisoner is you. And I realized that all this anger and hate that I was holding on to was just making me a prisoner. Those guys were had killed themselves in the library that day. They were dead and gone. Yet they were having a power over my life as I was holding on to this anger and hate towards them. And so what forgiveness became for me was it was really a desire to be free and and to let go let go of my right because i had a right i was justified to be angry i mean i had right i had a justifiable reason to be angry and we have justifiable ring you know reasons to be angry if i come up and smack you in the face you know in that moment you're going to be angry and you're justified but forgiveness is eventually letting go of your right to that anger. And so that's what it became for me. And so I took all, and, but it, you know, it doesn't just happen. It's a process. It's not an event. That's forgiveness fine. is, it's a, it's a mindset. Forgiveness is a mindset. People think it's an event. Oh, I forgave that person. Like boom. And it's gone. No, you know, because it comes back to your mind. And you have neural pathways routed and you have to take time to, to, to reroute, reroute those. And so uh, it's a process to, and a mindset. So what I would do is I would see these guys all the time because I would see them on the news, how the world forever sees me and, and, and maybe one day that will change when I do more movies and stuff, but everybody always sees me as a Columbine survivor. And that's fine. I don't resent that, but that's how I'm viewed and known as. That's what I'm talking about here and now, 20 years later. But, uh, you know, I, and I'm thankful for it because it's, uh, it's been an opportunity to share, some, share my journey and help people in, with their journeys. Um, but what I would do is I would take my anger and um, when I would see these guys on the news I would literally go to prayer and sometimes I'd be shaking. I'd be so angry. And then I just let it go up to the sky. And then I learned something else that helped me too, with my anger. I learned there, that there's, I got some, started getting some counseling and uh, I found out that there's four uh, uh, emotions that can neurologically translate into positive emotions, four negative ones that can translate. You can take anger and turn it into determ determination. And you can take sadness and turn it into an appreciation for life, 
courage or fear into courage. You actually don't know courage unless you're feeling afraid. That's the only time you can show courage. And anxiety or nervous, uh, I'm sorry, uh, nervousness into excitement. And so uh, all it takes is a different frame of mind. And there's studies about this. This is psychologically sound. You can look, look it up. There's videos on it. But I took this anger and instead of just lashing out and being destructive with it, or I would punch a hole in the wall, or I would say something I didn't mean, or I would do something stupid and then regret it and say, I'm sorry, or, or do something dumb to myself, self-destructive things. Instead, I would take it and I focus it on a goal. And as soon as you take that anger and you focus it on a goal, it becomes determination. And the goal, my goal became, okay, these guys wanted to kill as many people as they could. They actually had a bombs set to go off that failed to go off at that school because of one small timer failure. It would have killed 500 students, including me. I, it was right below me. These bombs were right below me on this on the first floor, and I was on the second floor of the library. And uh, I want to just say, I really acknowledge you for the young man that you are today. And a couple of nuggets I picked up that I know our view, viewers are going to pick up so much from what you've shared. Choices matter. You, you've made a choice. And healing, forgiveness is a process. It's not overnight. It's a process. And, you know, I just acknowledge you and that you didn't hold on to that anger and that you're using it for a better cause. I mean, you have so many great causes that you're doing now in life. So is there anything that comes to mind that you really feel is very um, prevalent to share with our viewers? I know you're sharing a lot and there's so much to cover because there's so much to share. But if you could give somebody one nugget, what would that be? Well, I think that with what I'm seeing with traveling around, I travel around and speak in schools now and speak in conferences and speak at churches and what I, I've been doing it for, for 20 years on and off, and I've spoken to over a million people. And what I've been seeing lately across our country is, is, uh, is really a spirit of fear and a spirit of hesitation and timidity. Um, and it's because partly because of COVID. Um, there's a, let me share with you a quick thing that I think the audience would appreciate. Um, so do you remember in 2018, after a shooting happened in Florida, there was, uh, it was at Stoneman Douglas, and it was on a Valentine's Day, and 18 children were killed. For the next year or two, the, the news, it seemed like every, every few days was telling about another school shooting. Yes. And um, it was constantly on the news. You remember that? Yes. Uh, well, I would go around and speak in schools, and at every school I would go, I would have dozens, if not a hundred students scared that a school shooting was going to happen at their school. I would have parents, teachers afraid. We had across the country, we had um, national shooter drills, even for elementary school kids. Yeah. We had billions of dollars being put into school safety measures to try to prevent this. But do you know what the statistic is of dying in a school shooting? It's 0.000035. A person is literally 10,000 times more likely to die by getting in, in their car and going on their way to school that day than they would have getting 
in a, a dying a school shooting. And this is coming from a person who survived a school shooting. But why were we all so afraid? Because it's what we were focused on. Mm-hmm. Whatever you place attention on, you give, whatever you place attention on, you give power to. And so when the mass media- Say that again. Amen world, Say that again. What you- Whatever you, whatever you, yeah, whatever you place attention on, you give power to. So whatever the mass media decides that they want to place their attention on, and the world mass media has never places attention I in my lifetime as much on one singular thing than it than COVID in March of 2020. And when I went to both sides politically, uh, Fox and CNN, and I saw I went and saw every single 100% in March of 2020 of the articles were COVID, 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 COVID. I knew right then this thing is going to grow, become the most blown out of proportion thing in world history. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not saying it hasn't taken lives. I'm saying it's way blown out of proportion. And because it's constantly focused on whatever you focus on, you're going to give power to. And so because of that, we have a spirit, we have people that are afraid, afraid of each other. I mean, I went, I remember I was speaking at a school and um, I went to go um, you know, a lot of kids want to give me hugs or shake my hand. And I love that. And I pray with kids. I talk with kids and I w- went to go, there was a girl who was very emotionally moved. And I just went to go put my hand on her back and just as support. And she was wearing a mask and she, she went like this. She kind of freaked out because I was going to touch, you know, touch her. Yeah. And I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. But I did what it was I've seen. And maybe I don't know her story, but, but I've seen across the country in different places, just this fear that's happened or this over cautiousness. And we're supposed to be bold. We're supposed to be, uh, have that kind of spirit. I don't mean stupid. I don't mean wild, but I mean, we're not supposed to be in a spirit of fear. Well, what's or the opposite of fear? fear? The opposite of fear is faith. Think about that. The enemy wants us in fear, but God wants us to have that, that faith. That we can count on him and trust him in all things. And um, as we're coming to a close, I wish we had so much more time because I know you have so much to share and you're such an encouragement to so many. Is there a lifeline scripture that comes to mind or anything that um, I know God carried you through a lot and I'm sure your family and just, you know, is there anything as we come to a close? And then I want you to tell the viewers how they can get in touch with you before we get off this broadcast. Well, one of my favorite scriptures is uh, James 1, 2, and that's considered pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that's a testing of your faith, and that produces perseverance. Uh, let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, while not lacking anything. Um, so being able to see through uh, your problems and that they're actually uh, there for a reason to produce something in you, produce the character of Christ in you and seeing all your problems like that. I don't run from my problems. I don't try to always pray away my problems. Sometimes I, I might try to evade problems or evade sin or evade temptation, but sometimes things are, pro- God has a process that he takes us that involves problems and we're not supposed, we're not meant to lead a problem-free life. Uh, a great mentor of mine and my father's named Bob Mumford, who used to travel with Billy Graham, 
he taught me that there's four P's to every pro to every uh, biblical character's journey, and they are promise, uh, principle, problem, provision. Mm. So there is a promise that God gives. Then there's a principle that he expects us to live by. Then always there's a problem. And part of that problem is usually the tempter devil coming in with a lie. And he's a part of that. Think of Jesus in the wilderness. That was part of Jesus's process to be, to go through that. And he was tempted. Uh, and so, but he combated it with truth. And then you get through that problem and you entered into the promised land or the provision. And so the four P's. Um, so I, when problems happen in my life, I, I try to look up and say, or look within <laughs> and say, what, what is this? You know, what is this yeah. about? And, uh, you know, and then, and consider a joy and that's hard to do at first, but when you under, really understand what this going through this will do for you and that you'll survive it, you're going to survive. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a given you're going to survive. You're going to get through it, but are you going to thrive through it? If you can get through it the right way, you're going to come out a champion, uh, you know, in, into more of the promised land that God has for you. Amen. Because the enemy, you know, the adversary comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God comes to give the abundant life. So that's very good. Tell our viewers how they can get in touch with you, your platforms, or where they can find you. Absolutely. Uh, if you're interested in having me speak at a church, uh, a youth group, uh, a school, um, I had a very full speaking schedule, but after COVID hit, I, I that kind of uh, got lost. And so I'm, I'm looking to do more speaking. Uh, just go to Craig Scott event, uh, singular Craig Scott event.com. You can see a video on there that shows a kind of impact that the presentation has on audiences. Uh, it's more geared towards schools on my website, but at the bottom, go out and fill There's a, there's a little part you can fill out to request me as a speaker and someone will get back to you. And then, um, that's, that's it. Uh, you know, I'm working on other things. I've got a podcast that's going to be coming out called pain into purpose. Um, eventually I'm going to be working to do a Netflix type show dealing with, um, my story, my sister's story, Columbine. There was a movie made on my sister already. That was a smaller independent called I'm not ashamed. And it's can be found on pureflix.com. And there's a book my parents wrote called Rachel's tears. There's so much to her Are you story. Gonna write a book? I'm actually working on a book right now. I see that. I see a book yeah. coming out for you. So, but thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for being with us. It's been such an honor. And um, thank you for tuning in today to Destiny X, making a difference for this next generation. You can find us at destinyx.tv. Until next time, God bless. Hi, I'm Katie Holmes, Mrs. USA Ambassador 2019. I wanted to tell you about my new book. Unanchored When God Writes a Script. When I was in my 20s, I had my dream job as a news anchor and was dating an up-and-coming handsome attorney. But then it all came crashing down. In my book, Unanchored When God Writes a Script, you'll see how God restored my life, healed my heart, and blessed me more than I ever could have imagined. My book is available now at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, Unanchored When God Writes a Script.